3: I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a market market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. i would be one of my friends. I'm just trying to make you some money. My job, not just to entertain, but to educate, teach, contacts. Call me, 1-800-743-CNBC, or tweet me at Jim Kramer. You want to know what's driving this market with the Dow ultimately tumbling 282 points today, S&P dipping 0.53%, while the Nasdaq actually advanced 0.67%, led by the Kramer COVID stocks? Yeah. That's what this market was about today. Zoom Video, the work at home king, Zoom 7.6 percent, followed by Livongo Health up 6.9 percent, Central, up 6.3 percent, Datadog, Viva Systems 6.1 percent, Teladoc up 4.7 percent, Massimo up 4.6 percent, Twilio and Etsy up 4.5 percent, DocuSign, Salesforce, Slack, Microsoft, NVIDIA, CrowdStrike, chang they're all surging. And you know what they have in common, don't you? These are the stay-at-home economy stocks in their back. Or maybe they just took a breather before they reignited. I'm proud that we've had all but one of these on the show. I'm trying to bring them all to you. Now, why? Why is this happening? Because today we started worrying again about the pandemic. Cases are spiking, and that defined the action, even as we got a very strong one-two punch of good news from the three J's. And that's Johnson, Johnson, and Jay, the three J's. Let's start with some good news. First, J&J announced that it's starting human trials for the COVID-19 vaccine two months ahead of schedule. In July, that's <laughs> it's right around the corner. That is very positive. It is fabulous. And there is no reason for J&J to come on and talk about it unless they really had confidence when they spoke to Meg Terrell. That told me there's, it's the real deal because J&J is one of the least hype-oriented companies in the world. Then right on its heels, we heard from the third J, Jay Powell who promised to prevent another terrible quarter like the one that this country is having right now. By the way, it's the worst Q2 on record. And how's he going to do it? By any means necessary. As much as I love it when our Fed chief tells us that he will do whatever it takes, I found myself wishing that Powell would just own up to what's really going on here. He'll do what he can to keep the balls in the air until the other Jays, the brothers Johnson, can come up with a vaccine and put an end to this whole uh, sorry period. Of course, it's not that simple. But we really do have to start recognizing what Powell's doing, which is the same thing the Treasury Secretary Mnuchin's doing, the same thing that Congress did when it passed the stimulus package. They're trying to plug enough holes in the dike to make sure we can get the upward slanted part of the V-shaped recovery growing. And uh, they also know that it's not sustainable until the vaccine arrives. You can't get, you can get this part going down, but to get this part, well, you need a vaccine or else it goes When you hear the head of the Federal Reserve say, and I quote, we are not thinking about raising rates. We are not even thinking about thinking about raising rates and quote, you know, he's trying to do everything in his power to keep things from going off the rails and doesn't want to discourage anybody by saying that he's going to start raising. When you have this kind of epiphany, it puts a lot of things in perspective. Take Friday's surprisingly fabulous employment number. Now, look, remember, we were looking for 8 million lost jobs. Instead, we got 2 million new ones. Of course, we didn't really create those jobs as much as we clawed them back as states reopened. So now that the reopening has arrived, why can't we just go back to normal? In part, it's because cases are already starting to spike in states that opened early. No, no spike in deaths yet. But we know that deaths tend to lag cases by two to three weeks. Still, we have a better understanding of the virus than we did in March when we really knew nothing. We have more resources. Everybody knows how uh, knows to wear a mask now. However, ending the lockdown just isn't enough. Sweden never had a lockdown in the first place. Their economy still tanked because people are afraid of getting sick. Lots of people who are at risk still needed to stay home. There are tons of otherwise productive people who are now relying on government stimulus to get them through until until when? Until we have a vaccine. Powell and Mnuchin in Congress need to keep stimulating the economy. There is no choice. Let's be clear. As Jay Powell said today, quote, there's no playbook here, end quote. That's because we really have no idea how closely people can gather without a vaccine or a cure. Even after all the misery of the last few months, we just don't know enough about this darn thing. The science, it's so, we just, it's a novel virus. And although we have a better understanding of how it works than we did earlier this year, we know it's not a respiratory illness, for heaven's sake. Uh, We're still very much in the dark of a lot of things. Do you need to stay six feet away from uh, people outdoors? Is it seven feet indoors? Is it eight? Uh, Can it be stopped by a mask? What kind of mask? An N95? Can it be an Etsy mask? Does the mask only stop transmission? Um, Or does everybody need to wear one for you to be protected? If you wear a mask, you maintain that distance. Can you safely go out drinking? How do you drink with a mask? How do you go to games? Can you high five? Can you fist bump or most deadly use the bathroom at a sporting event? What will a mask do there? And how can you possibly be socially distant at halftime? The truth is, if COVID's making a comeback, if it's not safe to gather in large crowds, then millions of Americans just simply won't be able to get their jobs back because they rely on crowds. They'll be on the dole until we get back to normal or the dole runs out. and We can't get back to normal without a vaccine. Let me give you a couple of examples. We're now starting to see some numbers from the airlines, which need both vacationers and business travelers. Right now, we don't have much of either. Then there's the restaurants. Some of the big chains are putting up pretty good numbers to show they'll be able to stay in business. Stay in business is the operative term. They have cash flow. They have customers coming back. Sure. They, they they can't serve anywhere near as many people as they used to, at least not inside. Some chairs and tables remain empty because of social distancing. But they have the money. They can make it. But the small, medium-sized outfits, are you kidding me? Give me a break. Don't go through that paycheck protection money like no, tomorrow. They won't get the customers. Uh, they won't get the folks who drink a lot, the real money making group of people. And they won't have crowds. I know restaurants and I know bars. I own them. If you don't have crowds, you're not thinking about bringing on more staff. You're only thinking about whether you should lay off everybody and close before the rent crushes you. We see the same thing at the mall, when even the Gap can't pay the rent to the Simon Properties Group, who, by the way, ended up that ta- end that Talbot deal. Well, I mean, guess what? They get sued. But what, what do you think happens to the smaller companies that have far less access to capital? Sayonara. I know what the smaller retailers won't do. They won't wait for j Powell to save them because they can't. Which brings me to today's market. When you look at what went up today, it was strictly the COVID stocks. The Kramer COVID index was up nearly One and a half percent today after outperforming significantly yesterday, too. And that's why the Dow and the S&P got hammered. But the Nasdaq went up big. These stocks are back in play. And it's it's why this market's all about the three J's. Johnson, Johnson, J. I love having Powell on board, believe me, but it's the other two J's we need to succeed in making a vaccine. Or maybe it could be Regeneron or Moderna or AstraZeneca or Pfizer, anything, please. You can listen to every word Jay Powell is saying that he'll do his part to get those 22 million people back to work. But this simply isn't a problem for the Fed. It's not a problem for Mnuchin. It's not a problem for Congress. It's a problem for pharma. Apple can't solve it. Amazon can't solve it. NVIDIA, maybe. They're doing some pretty good stuff. But the home builders can't solve it. No. It's these guys. Only the pharmaceutical companies can beat this pandemic. Until then, we can see some industrials or oils or banks or airlines rally on the hopes that Powell will do his part. But there's only so high they can go without a vaccine. And now that you can see that they're being repelled and repelled hard, bottom line, no broad-based rally from this level is sustainable without a major scientific breakthrough in the fight against COVID-19. This is pretty much as high as we can get absent a vaccine. Until then, while well, you're looking at it, stick with the Kramer COVID Index, especially in the days when we get way too optimistic about a recovery. Kevin in Illinois. Kevin. Hey, Jim. Love your show. Been watching since the first day you
1: went on the air. Thank you. Two things. I love politics and I love trading. I was a 22-year Chicago Board of Trade veteran. also worked on a successful presidential campaign. So I want to know your thoughts on Snapchat and social media stocks that take a stand against disinformation and what your thoughts are overall on civil unrest and the way to trade. Oh,
3: and civ- stocks. Well, you know, look, civil protest uh, in the name of, of uh, innate racism in this country is good. And I favor it. Uh, I don't know how to really conflate it with the stocks. I mean, I'm glad that, you know, Snap obviously is doing well uh, because they agree uh, that there's no room. uh, There's no room for racism. Uh, There's no free speech for racism when it comes to that. To to my view, it seems to be the view of Snap and Twitter. Uh, If Facebook really wants to see its stock go higher, maybe they should endorse the notion that there should be no free speech for racism. I think that would be a good change. Let's go to Kevin in Texas. Kevin.
1: Hey Jim, I wanted to get your take on Kroger. Over the last few months, I've noticed more customers in the stores
3: and much more traffic for their clickless curbside pickup. I think this traffic will show up in their quarterly earnings next week. What's your opinion? I think they're going to have a good quarter, but my problem is, is they they are up against a company called Costco, and Costco may be the best run company on earth. So even though I think Kroger's good, I think they got good managers. I like their stores. I refuse to own, I recommend a company that has to go up against. The king and the king is Costco. Let's go to Ali in California. Ali, sunny San Diego. Booyah to you, uh, Jimmy. Killed. Lucky man, booyah. The chill man was chill attack uh, under attack in uh, Twitter, but that's okay. I got unlimited firepower, and I get up <laughs> at three. What time do they get up? <laughs> I'll set you on for two forty-five. What, what first, do you got? What do you thank we got?
1: You. first. First, I want to say thank you. I was a caller on your show nine years ago. And I took your advice on buying Apple after they announced the Verizon iPhone, and I just held on to it. So thank you, Jimmy Chill. You are the man.
3: Well, people want to trade Apple endlessly and lose money. I actually prefer making money. I think it's a better posture. How can I help? Well, now for my question. With everyone working from home lately, athleisure has become the unofficial dress code of the pandemic. I
1: sold at 210 in April, and I have regretted it daily. But with earnings tomorrow, is it a good time to rebuy, or should I wait for a dip in Lululemon?
3: Oh, you know what, Lulu, here's the way it works. It usually comes out... The headline, people, uh, there's like the second where people think that it's not that good or someone tries to tamp it down because they're short and make it look bad. And that's your chance to snap it up. Blulu is an amazing company. It, it, It is just an amazing company. What can I say? Really fabulous. All right. I want you right now to recognize that the Kramer COVID index is in play. Why? Because as much as the Fed does, Secretary, Treasury, President, Congress, it's a vaccine that is needed. Uh, it, until we get a scientific breakthrough, we may not be able to go much higher in a lot of the recovery stocks. Oh, may I have money tonight? Looking to book a trip in the cruise stocks or airline space? I'll tell you why an investment in the sectors could be put on pause. Then there's a bull market in the great outdoors and I'm eyeing a play that's still cheap. Cheap enough that it could be worth buying at these levels. I'm going to reveal the name. And as the economies begin to reopen, I'm sitting down with Marriott Vacations Worldwide. To get a read on how it's operating in a COVID 19 world, struggling to open uh, its doors at all its places, but they're doing pretty well. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second
4: of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag mad tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com.
5: Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at AmericanExpress.com slash businessgoldcard.
2: Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact. Smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a -a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving.
3: As the airline and cruise ship stocks get slammed for a second day, you need to recognize that these stocks probably never should have been flying that high to begin with. For days, we've been watching these stocks marveling at how they keep soaring with no sellers anywhere, even though none of the airlines or the cruise lines is actually saying anything positive. These stocks deserve to rebound from their March lows, I admit to that. But once we realize they'll be able to survive this difficult period, they deserve to go up. But you know what? There's a big difference between surviving and thriving. They traded like they were thriving, propelled by a new group of amateur investors. That is until yesterday. Now they are getting hammered. And I need to stress that this is not a buying opportunity. This is not, say, uh, like Grubhub, which just got a sweet takeover bid tonight from uh, an outfit that I don't really know. But I think it's going to be I wouldn't clan out other buyers. There are no takeovers here that's going to save the day. Let's start with the cruise lines. Right now, the cruise business is literally non-existent. The CDC won't let them sail until late July. And we hope that if you're a cruise line shareholder that that, that even happens. Who the heck buys stock in a cruise line? that can't cruise novices who don't know any better. That's who. Because when you bother to look at news, something that these often oblivious buyers don't bother to do, it's ugly. For instance, what was going on at Carnival today? Top headline, the canard lines Queen Mary 2 and Queen Victoria won't be selling until November 1st at the earliest. How about Royal Caribbean? Oh, okay. well, they're selling a billion in senior guaranteed notes due in 2023. How much are they paying? How about 9.125 percent? That's almost usury. Then there's $1.15 in 4.25 percent convertible notes due in 2023. Talk about multiple guns to your head. It's almost a death sentence if they don't start cruising again soon. There's only so long you can borrow and extortion your interest rates before you're in big trouble. How about Norwegian? Well, we got the good news that it has $3.5 billion in liquidity. It can therefore survive without sailing for 18 months. Positive burn rate. But that didn't stop the stock from plummeting 14% today. Could the cruise lines be bailed out? Don't hold your breath. These aren't U.S. companies for tax purposes, and they're about as far as it gets from essential. How about the airlines? What was the news flow? All right, this is good for the uninformed guys, the guys who are just trading whamma jamma. This might help you. Delta's selling five year unsecured notes that may yield eight percent. The good news? The last time Delta came to the market back in April, they raised three point five billion selling notes that were secured by its lucrative slots in New York and Heathrow airports. That paper yields five point four percent right now. This time they didn't even have to offer such precious collateral. Delta said today it believes that its revenue will decline at ninety percent. I expect this pass per count. Uh, when will the count be back? Well, it says it'll be below pre-pandemic levels through 2023. Hmm. Buying opportunity. United, J.P. Morgan downgraded, along with Blue, noting that, quote, we do not know, do not believe the current pace of equity ascent can be potentially maintained for much longer. End quote. Thanks, guys. They're worried about the need for dilutive equity offerings and not so high corporate demand, among other reasons. American, their June cash burn is only 40 million a day. Staff down from 50 million. Now you're, now you're talking to right? I mean, isn't that great? I bet it takes all day to shovel $40 million into a bonfire. Listen, for the cruise lines to stay alive, they really need to be able to cruise. For the airlines to stay viable, people have to stop thinking of planes as COVID incubators. They need these rapid test machines in every airport so they can find out if you have the virus before you're bored. It's taking your temperatures and a joke. It's not enough. You can still transmit this thing before you have symptoms. Did you listen to Dr. Fauci today? Without serious safety precautions, I don't think they'll see the resurgence in traveling that they desperately need. All the companies that compete with each other for business keep taking meetings with Zoom or with Cisco's WebEx, which means in-person corporate travel could drive almost completely. Why do I point this out? Because the airlines and the cruise lines were some of the hottest stocks in this market until yesterday. All the information I just mentioned is pretty much par for the course for these very troubled industries. Yet there's absolutely no recognition of this during the remarkable ascent. Carnival cruise from below 8 to 25. Norwegian, 7 to 27. World Caribbean, 31 to 75. All within a matter of days. Same with the airlines. Delta, 17 to 37. American, 8 to the low 20s. United climbed from the teens to nearly 50. I think these companies were fools not to issue billions of dollars in equity because their stocks have been bid up by amateurs who yet to learn that stocks can also go down. Welcome to the club, pals. Now the amateurs and the big institutional investors are tripping all over each other to get out of these stocks. Don't get me wrong. The rallies were real. Somebody made money, especially if they rang the register. Maybe they bagged them. Maybe they gunned them. I hope they liquidated them. But it was a terrific trade. The reality is that airlines and cruise lines were bid up by neophytes who yet to taste their first losses. And now that they have, they're spitting out the stocks as quickly as they can. Stick with Kramer. And by the way, here's a sneak peek into what my friend Scott Wattner has coming up tonight.
4: Tonight at 7 p.m., as pro golf hits the links again, a look at a new normal on the course. Plus, a view of the reopening from restaurant owner Marcus Samuelson and how he's helping a community through pandemic and protests. And... Business owners on what's known as Tulsa's Black Wall Street getting creative in a time of crisis. All tonight at 7 p.m. with Scott Wapner.
0: People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org/money tools.
5: When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match with indeed. At indeed.com slash madmoney. Just go to indeed.com slash madmoney right now and support this show by saying you heard about indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash madmoney. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire, you need indeed.
3: One thing's become very clear over the past couple of weeks. We have got a stampeding bull market in the great outdoors. The RV stocks are roaring. Thor Industries knocked it out of the park when they reported last week. May have seen them on the show. The golf stocks we've liked for ages, think Callaway at Kushnet, they are white hot. The boating stocks are roaring, with Brunswick up 138% for its March lows, and the smaller Malibu boats closing in on a new all-time high. I'd I just go sell my 17-foot Boston Whaler. Uh, but then uh, how would I fish? Remember, uh, what I used last time, Yeti, it's one we've liked in the beginning, but I was actually using the real deal. Uh, the Cooler and Outdoor Drinkware uh, Play gets up 5% for the year. Just set a new all-time high on Monday. Even Dick's Sporting Goods, an old-fashioned retailer, was able to rally on. I reported what I thought was a not-so-high quarter last week. Oh, and try getting a bike in this country. I tried to look for one this, this weekend. There's not available, stationary or the road kind. Tonight, I've got another one for you. A great outdoors play that's still cheap enough to be worth buying at these levels, and I'm talking about Polaris. That's right. Polaris, which makes snowmobiles, all-terrain vehicles, ATVs, motorcycles, some boats, some military vehicles, those crazy and hugely fun slingshot 3 wheeled roadsters, and all sorts of replacement parts and accessories, just like the RV stocks I highlighted last week. Polaris was a formerly hot stock that peaked a few years ago. It spent most of 2018 and 2019 as a serial underperformer, thanks to the trade war with China. Then, just when things we're getting back on track after the phase one trade deal with the Chinese. The pandemic hit and the whole market crashed. Polaris' stock plunged from the mid 90s to $37 in a matter of weeks. Makes sense. Who wants to buy a snowmobile or an ATV when you're stuck in quarantine? But like so many other COVID losers, Polaris bottomed in early April and its stock has made an incredible comeback, surging to 96 as of today. It's now erased all of its coronavirus related losses. And of course it has because business is very, very good for people who have a product that allows you to have fun outside where it's safe. In retrospect, I wish I'd recommended it a month or two ago. Someone on Twitter was saying to me, hey, Jim, you know, you've just been making big mistakes. I said, well, look, I make mistakes. I should have recommended this earlier. It was an incredible move. And if you caught it all, I can say congratulations, you did a better job than I did. and You got horse sense. Personally, I didn't want to get behind a snowmobile company going into the summer without more proof that the business was turning because the recession. You don't typically buy these in recession. Now that we've got that proof. Plus, the stock has spent the last couple of days pulling back from its recent highs. So I think you're getting a pretty good darn entry point right here. And I'm going to tell you why. First, what makes players different from, say, the airlines or the cruise lines that I've been warning you away from? As I see it, those groups got way too hot. They ran up substantially from their lows, even though business is still terrible. A big chunk of that bounce was justified. But by last week, they'd gone about as far as they could go. And they were due for a serious pullback like the one we are having. That's not the Polaris story. Not at all. Polaris has a genuine turn. It started when the company reported at the end of April. While the actual numbers were unambiguously bad, not a lot of demand for snowmobiles or ATVs when everyone's sheltering in place, management's commentary was a lot more encouraging. They told us the worst was already behind them, and they gave us a tremendous amount of detail on North American power sports business. Basically, the second half of March, their power sports retail sales in North America declined by 40%. But then April was much better than expected. Three weeks into the month, those sales were up, not down. Then over the course of May, we got all sorts of good news. I think players would have rallied hard anyway, because it's exactly the kind of beaten down sickle stock that suddenly went back into style on Wall Street Fashion Show until today. But this rally had more meat to it than many of the others. Specifically, about two weeks ago, players made three incredibly positive announcements on the same day. First, CEO Scott Wine gave us some insight into how the business was doing. He talks about, quote, the unexpectedly sharp recovery we are seeing, which in many cases has meant unprecedented demand for our brands and vehicles. End quote. Unprecedented demand. I mean, he goes on, quote, the influx of new customers to our dealerships is very encouraging, as people seeking fun family activities while social distancing recognize that our vehicles And uh, think outside tagline resonate with their desires. Makes sense. Second, players confirmed that they'll be maintaining their standard dividend, which currently yields 2.6%. When the company reported at the end of April, they said that they would delay the decision on whether or not to suspend the dividend until late May. They didn't want to cut the legs out from under their investors unless they had no other choice. Turns out the payout is safe. Third, Players doesn't have the cleanest balance sheet, but they negotiated with their creditors to get some relief from the most restrictive aspect of their covenants. Basically, they'll be allowed to borrow a lot more money if they need to through March of next year. Put it all together and you got an incredibly bullish business update, a confirmation that the dividend is staying put and a lot more financial flexibility. The very next day, CEO Scott Wine comes on our network and gives a fabulous interview to my friend Brian Sullivan on Worldwide Exchange, which is frankly where I got the idea to do this piece. Thank you, Brian. Wine made it very clear that even though the economy is still in rough shape, Polaris is thriving here uh, because they're taking market share in a world where people are afraid to fly or take cruises or gather in large groups. Camping, riding around in an ATV or a snowmobile while wearing a helmet. This is all stuff you can do for fun while minimizing your potential COVID exposure. It's the right sports for the moment. Still, it's not exactly an undiscovered story. Polaris' stock has stored from its lows. The analysts are starting to upgrade it aggressively based on the great outdoors thesis. So then why do I feel so Comfortable chasing in here, and you know I hate to chase. Well, because players is taking share. They're bringing in lots of new customers, and I think this is a once-in-a-generation opportunity for this company. Just as importantly, the stock has a reasonable valuation, sells for 17 times next year's earnings estimates. Hey, compare that to the RV players like Winnebago and Thor, which sell for 20 and 22 times earnings, respectively, and are more expensive in, again, a recession. All right, so Polaris isn't quite a bargain, but it definitely isn't too hot to handle, especially with that 2.6% yield cushion. Don't get me wrong, Polaris is a somewhat high-risk story. They make some of the world's most expensive toys, and if the economy's starts backsliding, well, that could hurt them. We know the trade war with China did some real damage and trade tensions are flaring up again. If things escalate, Polaris, well, it takes a hit. But the bottom line, if you believe, as I do, that America is reopening rapidly, but we're not exactly going back to normal, too much social distancing, then Polaris is indeed the kind of stock you should own. This is a company that benefits enormously from the V-shaped recovery thesis, and it also works with a slower recovery because The Great Outdoors is taking market share from every other form of recreation that involves crowded indoor spaces. Let's go to Diego in Florida. Diego.
6: Jim. Uh, I wanted to ask about Vegas as people start heading back and MGM starts re- opening up more hotels. So should I hold my position with MGM uh, despite the risk of second wave of coronavirus cases? Uh, I Which think, could- well,
3: I, the one I'm more comfortable with is Wynn, because I think Wynn has examined uh, the healthcare issue very heavily. Uh, MGM resources has had a very big move, and I, uh, I question whether this is the right time to continue to stay in it. Let's go to Nick in Indiana. Nick.
6: Yes, um, regarding AMC
1: Movie Theater, I know they filed for bankruptcy. In your opinion, is it worth the risk to invest?
3: It's a very risky, risky situation, and it's the kind of situation that, unless I look the CEO in the eye and ask the right questions, I feel like I'll be letting you Nick down in Indiana. So that's where I am on that one. Let's go to Joe in Florida. Joe,
4: Jim Cramer,
3: the Prince of Profit. Oh, man, I wish I were. Thank you. What's up? The MJ
1: of the market. My question is Ford. With the world reopening back up again from the coronavirus and Ford's recent partnership with VW, you see Ford becoming a major player in the electric car market.
3: I sure did like what Jim Farley had to say this morning. He's the COO, and I always enjoy him. He's such a smart guy. When he was on uh, Squawk on the Street with us and, of course, the unbelievably good Phil LeBeau, Um, I think the stock is very inexpensive. Uh, But uh, the catalyst will not be electric vehicles. It will be the F-150, and it'll be Chinese sales. And until then, I think you're okay. And I have not felt that way about the stock. I felt very good after speaking to Farley. Right, look, there is a fierce bull market in the great outdoors. I tried to show you that with Thor. Now I am bringing you Polaris. That's the kind of stock you should own in your portfolio, much more than money ahead. Dreaming of a summer holiday? I'm sitting down with the CEO of Marriott Vacations Worldwide find out how that travel industry is adjusting to the new normal. And believe it or not, it is better than 2007, 2009. Then with COVID-19 hospitalizations rising sharply in several states since Memorial Day, the pandemic is still holding steady. Tonight I'm I an under-the-radar company that's hoping to help treat the virus. And we're talking about convalescent blood, a term you might have heard about. And all your calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of the Lightning Round, so stay with Kramer. do with the travel and leisure stocks in this weird moment where the economy's coming back, but so is COVID-19. Consider the case of Marriott Vacations Worldwide, VAC. That's the timeshare and vacation rental business that was spun up by Marriott International nearly a decade ago. Like most of the lodging plays, Marriott Vacations got obliterated when the market crashed in February or March, with the stock plummeting from $130 uh, to its lows of, uh, uh, down to $30. You know, that's a 77% decline. But once the company was able to raise some fresh debt financing and the crisis started looking a lot less existential the stock got its groove back. Merifications is now trading in the mid-90s. If you believe we're going back to normal, then this stock is absolutely worth owning. But it's been hammered over the last couple of days as the whole travel and leisure cohort suddenly fallen out of favor again. Because well, the new normal has some major differences with, <laughs> with the old normal. So is this a buying opportunity? We need to be a little more cautious. Let's dig deeper with Steve Weiss. He's the president and CEO of Merifications Worldwide. Get a better sense of how this company's doing and where it's headed. Mr. Weiss, welcome back to Mad Money.
6: Hi, Jim. How are you? Great uh, to be back with you.
3: I'm glad to see you, Steve. It's great to see you. Is that at your home doing this from?
6: No, no I'm actually in my office uh, here at work.
3: All right. Fair enough. Well, let's go to a question about work. You are sure. blessed, sir. You have said that, the, that you have seen Just over 1% of your borrowers asked for your deferred payment program. We have companies go at default. We have individuals that I'm worried about with credit cards. That's an astonishing figure. Why do you think that is?
6: I think part of it is because of uh, who we typically target as our our owners. Uh, You may recall that we have, uh, people that average household income is north of $125,000, uh, self-reported, uh, average net worth over a million and a half. Uh, many people view this as, uh, just a monthly payment. And quite frankly, they put great value on their vacations. Uh, the people that have reached out to us, um, yeah, we, we set up a deferred payment program for those that, uh, needed it because they either lost their job or 30% of their income. Uh, And when we ask them that question, do they qualify? Some said, nah, I was just calling to see if I could defer things. But by and large, only about one percent of our people have actually uh, taken us up on that. And uh, uh, we're happy to try to help whenever we can.
3: Well, that's a tremendous loyalty that it shows. And it brings to another question that I have. I always used to hear that, look, timeshares are not bought, they're sold. And yet this has not been a period where people have been able to sell anything. They're sheltering at home. They're, uh, the salespeople themselves haven't been able to show people uh, various units that they might want. Is that old uh, view a canard? Because these, a lot of people seem to want to have a timeshare.
6: Well, you know, I think kind of history kind of speaks to that issue. For the last several years, more than 60% of our sales has been to our existing owners that want to buy more of our product so uh that in and of itself says that they're not being sold they're actually buying uh but with that said i mean when when the the virus kind of hit it really hit the fan um the end of uh, march we closed all of our sales centers we kept them closed till the end of may we've just opened six back up here this past week um and um, you know, we tried to augment that with some uh, enhanced telesales activity where we took some of our sales executives that were used to taking physical tours and we actually put them on the phone. And I'm happy to report that we've got about 17 million dollars worth of sales in about four weeks as a result of that. Not a big number, but it does keep the lights on.
3: Well, but Steve, let me ask you, uh, housing itself is doing pretty well. We had Jay Powell speaking today. Rates are incredibly low. Uh, don't these represent great investments where you, you have very little interest costs? You can rent them out at a, at a level where people are saying, you know what? I want a vacation that is going to be clean because I know you disinfect everything at a nice resort that the people who are buying the second and the third with low interest rates, they're financially making a good investment.
6: Yeah, obviously, we try to stay away from the I word because it's a registered real estate product. We want right. to treat it like a security. But uh, with that said, I think people are making a wise decision to invest in their vacations for the future. Uh, and as as you well know, vacations are becoming uh, ever more important than they've ever been. Uh, people need time away to be able to kind of uh, find a way to reinvent themselves, or, uh, reinvigorate themselves. And as a result, um, we think we provide a perfect opportunity to that in some pretty nice spaces, obviously bigger than hotel rooms in some pretty great destinations.
3: Now, uh, in your conference call at the very beginning, you talk about it starting, you're, you're looking at the, uh, pr- the cadence. Marco Island, 22 percent, and then 54 percent for and then 80 percent. Uh, Newport Coast, Southern California, 23, 63, 80. These are remarkable comebacks for these very important areas.
6: They are, and and quite frankly, it's kind of playing out as as we thought it would. I I won't say we were brilliant in being able to do this. I think it's pretty logical. Um, uh, We thought that the uh, leisure transient would come back first before business or group. We thought that short drive markets would come back first, then long drive, then short flight, long flight, and then last but not least, kind of the transoceanic stuff. And uh, in fact, we're seeing that we're seeing that in Hilton Head, Myrtle Beach, uh, Marco Island, Florida, Newport Coast, California, uh, Park City, uh, Utah. These are places that people can get to. They're great vacation destinations and uh, our owners who own their vacations and uh, put pretty high value in them. Uh, they're anxious to get out of their house and get to some place where they can enjoy themselves.
3: Uh, one last question. There had always been this debate, and you solved it for me, but I want, we, haven't been, we haven't seen you in a long time. There were people who were saying, you know what, Airbnb is going to wipe out Marriott, Marriott Vacations Worldwide. I know that wasn't the case. You taught me that wasn't the case. But you know we have a lot of new viewers and younger viewers, so maybe you can explain to them why you're not dead and why Airbnb, frankly, hasn't been able to come public.
6: Well, I think I think part of it is is simply we we do offer a, a slightly different product. You know, Airbnb, while they have lots of product everywhere, if you think about uh, many destinations, you're you're spending time in someone's condo. I I've said, you know, if I was to go to New York City with my family, if my kids were younger, I, the first thing I'd say when it came through the door is don't touch anything, uh, because it's not you know, and and these are not. Those are not resorts that are amenitized. Uh, they don't have swimming pools, gyms, you name it. Uh, and we believe that we offer kind of a full-service experience in terms of uh, being able to get housekeeping housekeeping, and, and food and beverage facilities and everything, things that you can't really find in most Airbnb locations. Uh, so I, I think Airbnb has done a remarkable job of being able to, uh, put together a, an offering that resonates with some people. It doesn't necessarily resonate with us. You walk out our, our resorts, you'll see mostly families with kids traveling. Uh, most Airbnbs, it's largely singles or, or couples not traveling with their kids.
3: All right, well, look, Steve, it's great to see you. I know that you're a terrific businessman. Uh, misjudged at the beginning by me by uh, not understanding the Airbnb relationship. You're very different businesses, and you're a very well-run business. Thank you so much for coming on Mad Money.
6: Thanks, Jim. I appreciate you having me.
3: Absolutely. That's Steve Weiss, President CEO of Marriott Vacations Worldwide. I learned a lot. It's good business. Everybody's back after the break. It is time for the lightning round. It's time for the lightning then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Ski Daddy? Time for the lightning round. I'm going to start with Joseph in Florida. Joseph.
6: Hey, Jim. Booyah from Orlando. First, so right. I want to give a quick shout-out to my fellow 2020 UF NBA graduates. Jim, Why not? what are your thoughts on WWE? Is this a contender?
3: Uh, WWE, the only way I'm going to buy WWE is through a derivative way. Take two interactive. TTWO. and remember, the in-home trade is back. Let's go to Ryan in Arkansas. Ryan. Big Booyah
1: from the woods of Arkansas, Jim.
3: There you go. Thank you. Been there. Kind of so like it. The What's up? All me and all you do. What's
1: happening? So I'm, I'm calling about Triumph, ticker
3: TGI. I like it because I think that the, uh, Boeing is going to get the uh, the high sign soon from the FAA. I mean, the FAA can only uh, try to put out company out of business for so long. Let's go to John and Washington. John.
1: Hi, Jim. Thanks for all your wisdom and advice over the years. We've been listening since your days on the radio. Oh, my. I res- <laughs> I recently bought Chegg in the 60s after the CEO appeared on your show.
3: right.
5: Well, you're all right.
3: You're right. It's come down. But, you know, why don't you wait till it's 50 to get a better average? I don't want you to average down right here. I do believe in the story. I think it's a good story. Dan Rosenzweig's an honest guy. Let's go to Bill in Pennsylvania. Bill. Chill man. I mean uh, the chill man.
1: Yeah, I got Cloudflare. What do you think? Should I buy more?
3: Yeah, why not? Cloudflare's good. Hey, I'll throw in Cloudstrike. I'm going to throw in snowflake. i will give you a threesome. Got the whole thing, got a whole meteorological complex going. Let's go to Dave in California. Dave.
1: Hey, booyah, Jim.
3: Booyah, Dave.
1: Hey, a while back, you had a great company on uh, VIAV Solutions. I thought it was a great s- essential service company in the rollout of 5G, and it seems to be best to breathe. Yeah, at we like that. Allergy. Why
3: is that stock not all the way up? Why is that stock down? To- I am with you. I am with you. I like that company. And by the way, I like 5G. I also like Erickson. I'm doing a lot of 2 tonight. What can I tell you? I feel very uh, uh, very charitable, as well as ecumenical. Let's go to Gregory in Florida. Gregory.
4: Jimbo, chill,
1: my dude. <laughs> the chill. Man. National Love Club member here. Yes, thank, tomorrow thank morning. So tomorrow, 1130 conference call. I'm going to break some Thanks heads. What's going on?
3: What's going on? Hey, hey! listen, you've
1: been really bullish on cybersecurity recently, including Family Save Opta, al Alto, a few others. The company I'm calling about is Israeli. You've had the CEO on in the past, and they recently made an acquisition of an identity as a service company, Adaptive Holdings, which should allow it to up its already strong game when it comes to... The Israeli
3: one is uh, the, the Israeli it. is Cy- CyberArk. I don't like it as much as the other ones that I've been recommending. It's got doesn't have enough cloud and that lightning round.
4: The lightning round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade.
3: If you think we've got the pandemic under control, I want you to think again. For months, I've been telling you that we won't be fully out of this woods until we get a vaccine. Sure enough, since America started coming out of lockdown around Memorial Day, we've seen a major uptick in COVID-19 cases in the states that reopened early. In short, it's not over which means we need to keep focusing on the companies that are coming up with innovative ways to fight the virus. Take Cirrus, a speculative company at CERUS, by the way, a speculative biotech company that's in the blood business. Typically, Cirrus uses its technology to render most blood-borne viruses, bacteria and parasites inactive. When you donate blood, the blood center will often run the plasma and the platelets through a system like Cirrus's before giving it to someone else. But can it potentially uh, do more than that? When the COVID-19 pandemic exploded in March, Sears started working on a way to use their technology to fight the disease. This is what's known as, and you've heard this term, convales- convalescent plasma like convalescent, like convalescing, they take blood from people who've already recovered from COVID, run it through Cirrus' system, and then transfuse it into patients who are still struggling with severe infections. We need to know more about this technology. So let's take a closer look with O.B. Greenman. He's the president and CEO of Cirrus. Learn more about his company and how it is fighting COVID-19, among many other things. Mr. Greenman, welcome to Mad Money. Hi, Jim.
1: Thanks for the invitation. It's uh, great to be on your show.
3: Well, I'll tell you, sir, I I am so thrilled you're here. I was with a a good friend of mine last night who got uh, COVID early on, and he went to the Hackensack Medical, which is a great hospital here, to uh, give convalescent plasma. He's a very smart man. And he said everybody who has it, and a lot of my friends have had it, must do this because despite what China says, this is saving lives. You're right on the front lines. It is, isn't it?
1: Yeah, it seems like there's some great anecdotal data suggesting that it works. And uh, our first experience with it uh, was during the Ebola outbreak in West Africa in 2015. We were partnered with the Gates Foundation trying to make convalescent plasma plasma available then. So we were ready once this uh, pandemic happened. And our first experience here was in Europe, actually, in northern Italy with our partner, Kedrion, and also in Spain and, and Switzerland as well. And we really were able to to work with our blood center customers and hospitals and stand up those convalescent plasma programs to be able to provide it to
3: patients. You know, it, as you said, though, it is anecdotal. When will we get some very serious, uh, studies in this? China stopped its, 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 study early, but I'm frankly, I'm biased. I don't trust the Chinese. They have stopped trials before, even though they end up might have been good. Will we have anything definitive about what, uh, convalescent plasma does, uh, soon from any major journal that we can study?
1: Well, I think there's a, a number of uh, randomized controlled clinical studies that are underway both in Europe and the U.S., and uh, they should be reporting in the next you know, weeks and months. So I think that's really promising. Uh, Cirrus has now deployed the, our technology at, I think, like 65 sites across Europe, Middle East, Africa, South America, and the U.S. So there are a lot of activities underway, and it really is amazing what's what's happening uh, the It's my firm belief that the blood centers are sort of the unsung heroes of uh, this pandemic and that they're moving heaven and earth to try and make this convalescent plasma available to patients, uh, really sick patients. It's really been quite
3: remarkable. Now, I don't want to by any means say this is your only business. As a matter of fact, in the Q&A section recently uh, of uh, a transcript I was reading, uh, a very smart analyst is saying, you know what, this is actually delayed some of the other things that you can do because people don't uh, voluntarily give the blood that you would otherwise need. So where is the rest of your business? How's it doing?
1: It's doing really well. I mean, the COVID-19 impact has had uh, somewhat of a a slowdown in clinical trials, but you know the overall business and we've really weathered uh, the storm so far and, and the, the business is resilient and the team has been resilient uh, the studies that you're referring to for our red cell clinical studies are uh, now enrolling again uh, most of the sites that paused during the height of the, the pandemic over the last couple of months have started enrolling patients again so it's really great to see that uh, those those phase three studies for our red cell program
3: all right, So when people give blood, I mean, I think they just give blood, they get the donut and they leave. But there's a lot more to it, right? Once that blood is taken, it's not just uh, put into some big tank. There's work that Cirrus does with it.
1: Yeah, well, it's, we work primarily with our blood center partners, and, and there's a whole processing scheme for how they collect and distribute blood across the U.S. Uh, and I think, you know, fundamentally, you know it all starts with the donors and, and just want to put a little plug for the blood centers right now uh, this sunday is world blood donor day and, and they're really you know in a critical situation right now because typically the inventory of blood at even one time is like you know three to five days i think that's been cut in half during the covid 19 crisis uh, but but anyway uh you know they're uh, the, the blood supply is is still available and, and being maintained by uh blood centers throughout the u.s and through the world for that matter
3: Okay, so uh, where, what are you doing uh, with the funding from DARPA?
1: Yeah, so uh, the DARPA funding I think you're referring to is, is partnered with uh, one of our collaborators in this convalescent plasma consortium. We were actually work more closely with US BARDA, which is the Biomedical okay. Advanced Research and Development Agency. And uh, back in uh, 2017, during the previous epidemic, which was uh, the Zika epidemic, you probably remember, uh, U.S. BARDA came to us and said, you know, we, we see that your products are approved for platelets and plasma. That's great because it safeguards the blood supply. We really like to have that available in the United States for red cells. Can we help you do that? And so they uh, provided us with a contract of about $214 million to accelerate that program through to FDA approval. That, that's what funds our phase three clinical trials and our commercial manufacturing scale up.
3: OK, one last question. I know that you're starting to some good growth. You are targeting 20 to 25 percent revenue growth in 2020. Will you be able to make that despite the problems or or because of, co- of COVID-19?
1: Well, I think it's just uh, the resilience of our business. We're one of the few med tech companies that hasn't had to pull guidance. So uh, we reaffirmed that guidance on our most recent quarterly call and expect to see robust growth coming out of the United States as well as from Europe.
3: Oh, excellent. Okay, well, it's a uh, speculative stock, but you're doing a lot of good things and I know from people who are doing convalescent plasma, you are crucial in the process. Thank you, O.B. Greenman, for coming on Mad Money.
1: Thanks a lot, Jim. Really appreciate it. it okay. honor.
3: That's O.B. Greenman, president and CEO of Sears Corporation, C-E-R-S. Do your homework, but I think that they have uh, this convalescent plasma, I think, is going to be very, very important important in the coming months of this disease. Mad Money's back. here for the break. I just got some high to IPOs, but how about this? The Scrub Up got this deal uh, from Just Eat, and I've got to tell you, I don't think it's the last bid. I think there could be higher ones. I actually, I'm actually, i not an arbitrageur, arbitra- sure, but I think the stock may still be worth buying. Like I said, there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise you I'll find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer, and I will see you tomorrow.